Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Now, if there's one thing that I think most of us struggle with, it's waiting. I don't like the passages that talk about waiting on the Lord, because I don't like to wait for much of anything, you know. And of course, our culture has brought us to, to a place where we are so incredibly impatient. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 16 in a message titled, Trying to Help God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As we come to Genesis chapter 16, here we have the first recorded attempt of a servant of God trying in the flesh to help God bring about his purposes. And as we shall see, rather than helping, Abram and Sarai only complicate things. And that will become very clear to us as we go on in the story of this great man of faith, Abram. So, verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So let's just stop there for a moment. A couple of things. Notice Hagar is an Egyptian. Now we don't know for sure, but it is highly possible that Hagar was brought into Abram's clan during that sojourning in Egypt. And if that's the case, which it's quite likely that it is the case, we see how getting out of the will of God and and not, not seeking the Lord for direction and and things like that, it can create problems. Because you remember, uh, Abram had come into the land of Canaan as God had called him to do. And then when a famine struck in the land, there's nothing in the scripture that says he, he sought the Lord for direction. He just immediately went down to Egypt to escape the famine. And you remember, we read the story when he was in Egypt, he he tried to pawn Sarai off as his uh, sister rather than his wife. Pharaoh became upset with him. But we're told that while he was there, that he acquired different domestic animals and things. And he also acquired men servants and 
maidservants. And so it seems possible that uh, Hagar was brought into the clan during that uh, sojourn in Egypt, a place that Abram never should have been in the first place. And, and if we see it in that light, it'll, you know, it'll really add another dimension to the whole story that's here before us. Now, we read here in verse 3 that Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So 10 years have passed. And you know God, of course, met with him when he was back in his homeland, told him to leave his family, to get out of his country, to go into the land that he would show him, told him that he was going to bless him, make him a blessing, was going to give him seed. His seed would inherit the land and and so forth. And now 10 years have passed, and the fulfillment is still yet in the future. And it would seem that perhaps at this point, Sarai is beginning to think that perhaps she is the problem. And so she comes to Abram with with this suggestion. And it really is an attempt to help God out. It's an attempt to get the you know, get the ball rolling, so to speak. You know, we've been waiting 10 years. So maybe we're supposed to do something else. Um, We're not supposed to just sit here and wait. Maybe we're, you know, supposed to be proactive. So um, here, Abram, this is what I think we should do. Now, Abram, it says, he heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, once again, this is where we see the human element and and the weakness of the man of faith. He shouldn't have done this. He should not have listened to Sarai at this point. He should have said, no, no, honey, I know it. I know it doesn't look good right now, but we've got to just keep trusting the Lord. We've got to just keep waiting on God You know, the Lord hasn't given us instruction to do it this way. Just, you know, calm down. But but he doesn't do that. And and again, this is where we see his humanity. This is where we see the weakness. So verse 4 tells us that he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So immediately... There is a negative reaction to what's happened here. Now, all of this sounds pretty bizarre to us, granted. But this was customary at the time. This was something that was uh, considered a plausible means of attaining children if a woman was barren, that there would be sort of a surrogate mother but it backfires. Hagar, once she knows that she has conceived, she begins to despise Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. 
the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled, Hagar fled from her presence. So as we look at this now, this doesn't really seem like the kind of scenario that you would expect from the men and women of faith. I mean, they're now upset at each other. This whole thing has backfired. Sarai's blaming it on Abram. He's kind of just trying to wash his hands from it. And, and then we read that, that she's treating Hagar harshly. You know, none of this sounds pleasant. None of this sounds good. None of this sounds anything like you would think it should sound from the perspective of, you know, these are God's chosen people. These are the, the people of faith. These are the ones that God's going to do this great work through. But once again, we see that um, God has always and still does to this very day. He uses what he has and he's got us. And we've got problems. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for the perfect church, if you're looking for the perfect pastor, you will be on an endless quest. You'll never find it. Because we're all people. And we all are weak and we all are feeble and we all, you know, can, we can rise to great heights in faith at times. But then there's times when even though we genuinely are people of faith, we really do love the Lord, we can do stupid things and we can be behaving in ways that just do not glorify God at all. And that's what you see in this picture here. But notice it all stems from kind of trying to take the reins and kind of get control of the situation and not waiting on God or not trusting God to do the work. Now, if there's one thing that I think most of us struggle with, it's waiting. I don't like the passages that talk about waiting on the Lord because I don't like to wait for much of anything, you know? And of course, our culture has brought us to, to a place where we are so incredibly impatient. You know, if your computer, you know, takes a few milliseconds longer to go from, you know, one site to another, it's time to junk the thing and get a new one. And, and so, you know, our whole culture, it, you know, it, it's sort of antithetical to uh, patience and to waiting. But God's not phased by the culture. He's not affected by that. He doesn't change his methods just because we've got sort of a change in our perspective or in our expectation. God takes his own sweet time. And just like Abram and Sarai had to wait and, and needed to wait and should have continued to wait. So there are times in our lives when God has just simply told us to wait. And the smartest thing we could possibly do is to just do that. Because once we try to, you know, take it upon ourselves to make things happen, 
it is guaranteed that you are going to mess things up. And here's the thing. You might mess them up in such a way that those mistakes will follow you and sort of haunt you to some degree the rest of your life. And that is exactly what we see in this story of Hagar and her child that will come. This is not just a a momentary inconvenience. This is something that will now be part of the life of Abram and Sarai all the way until the end and even having an impact on their descendants generations down the road. So it, th- these are important lessons. And like I said, this is the first recorded uh, attempt of the servants of God trying to, to help God out in the flesh. But as we go through the book of Genesis, we're gonna find that this is gonna be repeated a few times over in the lives of some of these great men. They're going to grow impatient and they're going to seek to sort of take control of the situation and it always results in something bad. And so, verse seven, Hagar has fled from from the presence of Sarai. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Now, here we're introduced to the angel of the Lord. And it becomes obvious in the context that the angel of the Lord is none other than the Lord himself. Now, remember, the word angel means, essentially, it means messenger. Sometimes, you know, we think of it just purely in terms of an angel, like, say, Gabriel or Michael. But it's, it's the messenger of the Lord. And whenever we find the angel of the Lord... In the Old Testament, almost 100% of the time, that is a reference to God himself. And so it's clear that this angel of the Lord is the Lord. He speaks to her and he says, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. The angel of the Lord is the the manifestation of the Lord in the Old Testament period. And it is almost absolutely certain that the the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate son of God. We're told in John chapter one, verse 18, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, some people say, well, you know, how does that verse square with, you know, passages in the Old Testament that say, you know, the people saw the Lord? We'll read in in the, the chapters ahead that, you know, clearly Abram is having a 
conversation with the Lord. We read about Moses and the elders of Israel. It says that they saw the God of Israel. So how do we reconcile? On the one hand, they saw the God of Israel. On the other hand, no man has seen God at any time. Is there a contradiction? No. What's, what's being stated by John is that no one has ever seen the Father. No man has seen God, the Father, at any time. It's been the only begotten uh, of the Father. It's been the Son of the Father. He's the one that has declared him. Now, of course, when Jesus came into this world, when he was born of a virgin, when he was, uh, you know, took upon himself human flesh, this is where we generally think of that revelation coming forth, and that certainly was the climactic moment of it. But these references back here in the Old Testament to uh, the angel of the Lord are uh, pre-incarnate appearances of Christ, the Son of God. And so it's interesting to me that the Lord is appearing to and ministering to Hagar. Now think about this for a moment, because Hagar was not part of this covenant. She was an Egyptian She was a maid servant. But yet, because of her connection now to Abram and Sarai, God is reaching out to her. God is ministering to her. He is encouraging her. And he's also giving to her promises. It's pretty amazing. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael means the Lord has heard. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So the Lord tells her about this son that she's going to bear. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahiroid. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Now, Bir Lahiroid means the well of the living one who sees. So she calls this place by the name of of her experience there. God saw her there. God met her there. And so the name, uh, the place becomes named after the experience. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, notice Abram named the child Ishmael. So evidently, what happened is Hagar, following the instruction of the Lord, she went back, she submitted herself to Sarai, and evidently she told the story to Abram and Sarai of her encounter with God and what the Lord had told her about the child. And so Abram does just as the Lord had said to her, he names the child Ishmael. Now, Ishmael, we're gonna follow him for a brief period here in the next several chapters. And Ishmael is going to be 
in the end, a thorn in the side of Isaac, the, the son that will be given. And because of that jealousy and animosity and all that, Ishmael's ultimately going to be cast out. And of course, this will be painful for Abram, who, who loves him as his child. But again, we see something that should have never developed had they just been patient, waited, stuck with the plan of God. None of this would have occurred. And then these far extending complications and difficulties would have been avoided, but they, they will become part of the, the life and experience of Abram. We can, if we're not patient and if we're not careful, we can create our own Ishmael, so to speak. We can create these kinds of things that, that really become a, a grievous thing to us, a, a thing that complicates everything the Lord wants to do. But you see, sometimes we get in a position where instead of you know, seeking the Lord, we, we start trying to figure it out ourselves. And then we start trying to sort of you know, come up with a plan or come up with a strategy. And, and you can do this on a variety of levels. You can do it on a personal level. I have known of people over the years who say, uh, you know, had a deep desire to be married. A guy or a gal, just, you know, deep desire to be married, praying about being married, wanting desperately to be married. And then, you know, they, they feel at some moment, you know, the Lord gives them that sense that that's my plan for you and I'm going to bring that to pass and you just wait on me. And, you know, so they're content for a season and everything's fine and they're trusting the Lord. Uh, but then as time goes on and it doesn't develop as quickly as they thought it would or, you know, they just, for the life of them, they can't see that person. Sometimes what they do is they start thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe I need to be a little bit more proactive. You know, maybe I need to go out and, and I need to actually look for, you know, that mate. Not, not trusting that God's able to bring the whole thing together. And, you know, a lot of times, I have found in my own experience, a lot of times Christians will be the, the first ones to sort of nudge you. They don't think they're nudging you over into the realm of the flesh, but that's what they're really doing. Oh, what are you waiting for? You know, God helps those who help themselves. You know, come on. You know, get out there and be proactive. And, you know, I, I remember a situation one time where, well, let me back up a second. I believe in regard to, to the marital relationship, I believe that God has ordained, chosen, created the, the person that I am to spend my life with as a believer. And because I believe that, I, I also believe that God is perfectly capable of bringing all of the things together to, to make that relationship happen. For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Air We Breathe. 
How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Progress, Kindness, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Western culture is characterized by particular values, whether it's the value of equality, when it comes to social injustice, race, or gender, or whether it's the value of freedom regarding local laws or presidential elections. Many of our most cherished values find their historical roots in the Jesus Revolution, also known as Christianity. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener traces the history of seven different values that are commonly held in Western culture that their origins have gone unnoticed, but find their beginnings in Christianity itself. He will take you through history, from the beginnings in Genesis up to George Floyd to present his case. This book will open your eyes how Christianity shaped our values of both Christians and non-Christians alike. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.